It is good to be back with you this morning. If you have your copy of God's Word, let us open up to the book of 1 Samuel chapter 24. I'm going to finish or conclude this series in Samuel today, and we will uh, pick it up with the continuation of it uh, later on in the spring. But chapter 24 uh, is a rather good place to stop, primarily because of what happens here uh, in this moment and in the text that is before us. But in 1 Samuel chapter 24, we pick up where we've gone from the previous weeks, where we have seen Saul seek to take the life of David. And David has been on the run, and he has been in pursuit by Saul's army. And so today we catch up, if you will, and then we finish this narrative, at least this morning. Over the past few weeks, many of you have watched alongside myself the events that have taken place over in Afghanistan. Lots to be said and lots to well, will be said about what has happened over the past few weeks there for years and years to come. One of the things that has emerged out of the midst of all of that are these so-called human interest stories, if you will, of people who are escaping, those who wish to take their life, to be on the run, if you will, like King David and being pursued by men rather quite like Saul in this instance. But I read one of such story this past week of a gentleman in the Wall Street Journal who was 20 years old, and he was born almost within a few days of when the Afghan war actually began. And his whole life, he's lived there in Afghanistan. As our troops began to come back home and the Taliban began to take more territory, he knew that his life was in danger for he had served all of these years of his grown life helping our military as a translator and he was now on a wanted list and his life was being threatened. And the picture that the newspaper picked up was of this gentleman at the airport and all he had in his hand was just a sack of, that you would put groceries in. And it was everything that he was allowed to take. And he's one of the fortunate few that were able to get on a plane and were able to escape and to be relocated somewhere else. You know, I, I don't imagine when I read that story, my thought was, I don't imagine that just several weeks ago that gentleman thought that everything that he thought he knew was going to be upended and he was going to have to do and leave and flee from his own hometown. It's one thing to be a gentleman like that, but it's another to see within the context of God's Word another gentleman by the name of Saul who, who his life just slowly crept quicker and quickly out of control to the point to where we find him where he, in essence, loses his authority and his kingship in chapter 24. Life for Saul did not go as Saul thought it would. And so we pick up in the text beginning in verse 1 where it says this, So Saul returned from following the Philistines. And he was told, Behold, David is in the wilderness of Engedi. Now this is just after Saul was trying to take David's life and David escapes. And then what happens, the Philistine army comes in and alongside and they begin to invade and they begin to attack Saul's people. And so Saul is called away for a period of time to defend off the Philistines. Now, scholars don't know how long that time was and that battle that actually occurred, but in verse 1, we read that he returns following his victory. And I'm struck with this thought, not getting just but a few words into the chapter. You see, Saul was a man who was deliberately and had chosen to live outside of the will of God. 
He chose to walk in a, in a place of obedience, yet even in that place of, of disobedience, rather, he experienced blessings. Walking unfaithfully with God, yet he still was able to defeat the Philistines in this moment. I think this teaches us something quite profound as a, as a people by the book seeking to live under the authority of God's word. And it's essentially this. That not every human endeavor of success is a sign of the favor of God. You see, Saul had success in defeating this army, but it wasn't necessarily that Saul was living in the blessing and in the favor of God. Yet for some reason in his sovereignty, God allows him to defeat the Philistines once again. And I think it's a cautionary tale for God's people this morning that not every time we experience success is it a sign that the hand of God is upon us and that his blessing is with us. Verse 2 picks up and it says, Then Saul took the 3,000 chosen men out of all of Israel, and he goes to seek David and his men in front of the wild goat's rocks. Sounds like a bar or a restaurant down on Montgomery Plaza in Fort Worth, Texas. And he came up to the sheepfolds, by the way, where there was a cave. And it says that Saul went in to relieve himself. Some translations will pick up that latter part and to say he uncovered his feet or a more accurate translation out of the Hebrew says that he disrobed himself to relieve himself. And so he lays his garment to the side and, and he goes to use the restroom, if you will, and it says, now David and his men were sitting in that very same cave in the innermost parts of it. And the men of David said to him, here's the day of which the Lord said to you, behold, I will give you your enemy into your hand and you shall do to him as it seems good to you. Then David arose and he stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Now, a couple of things are happening in this moment. You see, Saul was not a man that was really living under the authority of God's word. But in this moment, he was prohibited by, by law that he could not relieve himself in the context of where the camp actually resided. And it was a rule that he had to follow and that he must follow as the king, even though in so many areas of his life, he found himself to be disobedient. But this one time, he obeys. And we're meant to see the irony in this moment as he walks into the cave and, and he obeys the law that God has given, though he was a king that was living in defiance of that law. And it says that David arose, and in the Hebrew it carries with it this idea of making this very deliberate choice, making this cognitive action come into play, and he goes and he cuts off the corner of his robe. But what's interesting here in this moment is that David doesn't take the life of Saul. Even when he's urged by his men that, that this is the day the, the Lord has given you and he's promised to deliver your enemy into your hand. And, and here he is, of all the caves that Saul could have walked in, he walked into the cave where we were. David, surely this is the goodness of our God that has followed you here. And now is the time to take his life. They even in this moment quoted scripture and quoted the word of God back to him. Don't you think this morning that every desire that David had within his flesh and within his body, he was tired of being on the run. 
We read this in, throughout the book of Psalms as David laments often at times and he, he pours out his anguish and his sorrow before the Lord and we see him go up and we see him go down and, and don't you better believe it that, that David would have and wished that he could have taken his life but he didn't. He had the desire to do that. And here in this moment in the midst of God's sovereignty the circumstance lined up to the desire. You know, desire and circumstance have a very peculiar way of tricking a lot of God's people. Can I say this to you very lovingly, and this perhaps may be the, the harshest thing that I say to you this morning, is that you can have all the desire in the world to be right, and you can have the right circumstances that come your way, that perhaps the Lord even opens up the door. But friend, by doing that action, you still may not be in the center of the will of God. That just because you want something and, and, and need it in your life and just because the circumstance comes your way, it does not always mean that this is what God wants you to do. And discerning Christians and people of the word have to understand this idea that we cannot confuse our desires with our circumstances and the will of God because they all three don't always match up. We can believe something, and we can long for something, and we can want something. And here in this moment, David does not take his life. But notice what it says in verse 5. Afterward, David's heart struck him. He was convicted. He was challenged by what he had done, and, and he knew that what he had done in this moment was wrong. Why? Why what he did? Why was it wrong in this moment? You see, to be the king, you, you wore the robe. If you were the, the top dog and, and you were the man, you wore your kingly robe. And everywhere you went, that robe, it represented your authority. And in this case, what David understood that his men did not understand was that God, even in his goodness, was the one that anointed Saul as the king. That God in his goodness was the one that brought Saul to his place in life. And it was the Lord God who chooses the king. And it was the Lord God who chooses to take away the king. It's the Lord who appoints and it's the Lord who takes. And David understood that even in that moment that he, at the most, he, he certainly would not take Saul's life. And yet in this moment, he, he takes the, a piece of the authority of Saul and he becomes convicted of, of those things because this robe was the very symbol of, of his authority. And David knew that God was the one that had placed him there. And David knew within his heart that God would be the one to remove him. But don't you find it interesting that even in this moment, David's closest friends, the men that he had fought beside, that he had bled with and, and suffered with, the men that had supported him the most, his closest brothers, that they were the ones saying and quoting scripture to him. But, but here's the reality for the discerning person and for David in this moment. He knew that, that the words that they quoted from the Lord were not intended to mean what they said that they mean. And so David was able to look past that. And I think it's a reminder to God's people this morning that we have to be diligent students of the word and discerning in the word and, and have wisdom as we apply the word. Because I'll tell you this, if you're smart enough and you're intelligent enough, you can twist the word of God to say whatever it is that you want. 
And people can do this all the time from the men and women perhaps you see on the television screen or you look back in history and and read about uh, some of the most evil and harshest people that have ever existed. Many of them knew the word of God and they knew how to use it to manipulate and to mold people into who they thought that they should be and just sprinkle a little thus saith the Lord on the side. We live in that day as well. We live in that day in which the people of God need to be discerning with the word of God. And we study scripture in the context of of what has the church historically understood this to be throughout the years? And and what does my community of of faith believe in this? And so we're constantly, we need each other because we're we're trying to weigh out and to make sure that, that the things that we perceive that are written in the word line up with what God really intended them to mean. And so we look for what's called authorial intent when we study God's word. What was the intention of the original author? And the text always has only one meaning. It may have numerous applications and many different kinds of applications to the context of the situation, but it only means one thing. And so our goal is to understand that meaning. And so we seek it and and we seek to discern it. But David did not take the opportunity that was before him to take his life, even though his friends were urging him on because David was discerning enough to know what God meant when he said it the first time. And he didn't take the opportunity that was before him. Can I, can I tell some of you this as loudly as I possibly can? Sometimes when the door of opportunity knocks, you need to run in the other direction. Not every door is is meant to be walked through, but some are meant to be double bolted and locked and chained and and even destroyed at times. We must be discerning as we look and as we perceive. And and what David understood was that God was not going to ask him to do something that was contrary to what he had spoken. And God in this moment had not yet spoken. He promised David a day when God would deliver his enemies into his hands. And David was waiting on that day, but he knew that it had not come yet. So in this moment, the ends did not justify the means. And he was unwilling to compromise on that. Can I tell you this this morning? You will never achieve the purposes of God when you break the commands of God. You're not fulfilling his, his will or his purposes. If we overlook what he has stated and we overlook what he has said in his word, then we are not fulfilling the God of, of this word and, and the God of, of this Bible, but rather we're satisfying some other longing or desire or perhaps some other little God that exists within our life. God will never, never ask you to do something that is contrary to his revealed word and will. He may put circumstances in your life to measure up your faith a little bit. He did that to Jonah. Do you remember this? When Jonah travels up to, to Joppa and, and he's trying to escape the presence of the Lord, do you think the Lord God knew that that boat in Tarshish was going to be there? Yes, he did. And Jonah decided to get on the boat. And, and we all know what happened to Jonah when he got on the boat. Not every circumstance that lines up with your desire is going to match the will of God. And we see that in David's life. We saw that in Jonah's life. He goes on and he says, and David begins to respond after cutting it off. In verse 8, it says, Afterward, David also arose and he went out of the cave. 
And he called after Saul. And I want you to notice how he speaks to his nemesis. He speaks to his enemy. He speaks to the man who has sworn to take his life. Notice the tone and the truth in David's words. He says, my Lord, the king. And when Saul looked behind him, David bowed with his face to the earth and he paid homage. One scholar said it this way, this this moment in David's life, make no mistake about it, this was the the zenith, this was the pinnacle of his spiritual well-being. He was in tune with God and he was so in tune with God that it would bring about this humility in his life that he approaches Saul whom he could have just taken his life but a man who had also ruined everything for David and made David a fugitive and an outlaw and he had 3,000 men seeking to destroy him and to take his life and he says, my Lord, my King, and he bows. I think this interaction is instructive for us as a church, because it tells us a little bit of something about conflict that we sometimes can come across in our life and in our homes or perhaps in our workplaces. You see, David understood in this moment that his goal in this moment was not to take vengeance into his own hands, for that was the Lord's, was not to take retribution, which he could have rightly and justifiably, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. No, rather, David in this moment shows the people of God how to bring about the peace of God. You see, it's only when you're full of the Spirit of God Can you display supernatural acts such as this and show humility and deference and and honor to the position and, and honor to the authority that that person holds? And so he addresses him, my Lord, the king, acknowledging that God had sovereignly put Saul over Israel for this time and for this place. And and to David's knowledge, he had not yet removed him from that position. And the text goes on in verse nine. And he says, and David then says to Saul, listen to these words. Why do you listen? To the words of men who say, Behold, David seeks your harm. Behold, this day your eyes have seen how the Lord gave you today into my hand in the cave. And some told me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not put out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. You see, my father, see the corner of your robe in your hand. For by that fact that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you, you may know and see that there is no wrong or treason in my hands, for I have not sinned against you, though you hunt my life to take it. I find perhaps maybe this is the most important word for us to hear today, especially as we look out into culture and the culture of Christianity and evangelicalism and Southern Baptist life and all across the spectrum, what David does in this moment is he shows and he gives goodwill towards his enemy. He ascribes that goodwill and and that nature, not hostility towards Saul in this moment. He says, how can I go against the Lord's anointed and how would I defy what it is that that God would, would tell me not to? He shows goodwill. Friends, can I tell you this, that the day that we lose goodwill towards other people is the day that we just lose. And in today's age and in today's world, you don't have to get on Twitter or Facebook too very long or just listen to conversations often that take place in the public square or watch your latest edition. 
Let's pray. Father, we, um, we come to you right now and we're, um, we ask that you right now in this moment, whatever is happening behind us in the choir loft, we pray supernaturally that you and your presence would be there and with that person. I pray for uh, all of our doctors who are attending. I pray that you'd give them wisdom and, and insight. I pray for your sweet presence to be felt and known in this moment. Father, I pray that you would give us great trust during this time. That you are a good and a gracious God and Father in heaven, we pray that right now in this moment you would show that goodness and you would show that graciousness. Father, you tell us in your word that you hear the, the cries of your people. And so we pray, Father in heaven, that you would hear us now in this moment. For you are a good God and we call upon your name as we sing about you and we pray towards you that in your goodness you would be here with us in this moment. And so, Father, I ask for your will and your presence right now. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. And God's people said, Amen. Amen.